Welcome to The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. Well, welcome to The Struggle is Real relationship talk series by Family Bridges brought to you all the way from the 2017 Anarmi Summit in Denver, Colorado. My name is Omar Ramos, and joining me today is, of course, my co-host, Veronica Avila. Hello, Vero. Hello, Omar. How are you? And hello to all of our listeners. We're very excited to be able to talk to some of the most influential relationship experts here in the U.S., including Dr. Alicia Laos, our very own resident expert. She's also a clinical psychologist, CEO of Family Bridges, and author of The Struggle is Real. Welcome, Dr. Laos. Welcome, everyone. Well, today's podcast is for parents of preteens and younger kids, or perhaps teens, if you've managed to keep them away from boys and girls so far. Our topic is preparing them for puppy love. When should your child start dating? Are you ready? Okay, so ready or not, here we go. We've invited a top expert in this topic, Dr. John Van Epp. He's president, founder of Love Thinks, and author of How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk. Mm. Interesting. He has conducted numerous seminars and workshops over the past 20 years on topics related to marriage, family, recovery, singlehood, emotional makeup, relationships, and divorce. He is one of AOL's love and sex coaches with over 25 years of clinical experience and extensive research in premarital, marital, and family relations. He teaches out-of-the-box courses like How to Avoid Falling for a Jerk, Couple links, our home runs, and ultimate spiritual and R&R to be taught in thousands of churches, single organizations, educational setting, and social agencies in all 50 states, 10 countries, and by more than 3,000 military personnel. So with all that said, welcome Dr. John Venep. It's great to be here. Thank you so much, Omar. Can you tell us a little bit about how to avoid marrying a jerk? Okay. We'll go straight to the point. <laughs> go straight to the point. Well... I think that uh, if you just want to start kind of uh, as a big overview, uh, people need to engage both their heart and their head together. You know, a lot of people build relationships all heart. And then all of a sudden they see things and they're like, oh, if only I knew that, you know, when I first started, you know, knew that when I first got going in the relationship. So they don't really know what to look for and what to think about. And then I suppose there's some people that are like just all head in the relationship and they're too analytic and they don't really know how to engage their heart. But I think a balance of your head and your heart. So honestly, my book and as well as the program really gets into all the details of how to keep your head and your heart working together. So you have good bonds in the relationship. You, 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 you're safe. Your trust isn't too high. I think especially um, a lot of people just have been burned in relationships and they, they're not quite sure how to form a trust anymore. So we teach how to build a good trust, how to check it out with how reliable a person is in a relationship, how to pace those together, how to form commitments and how to make that work with your trust and your reliance. And also this whole big area of sexual involvement, you know, when, when and how far to go and where to set boundaries and specifically areas to get to know about somebody that kind of reveal their true character. So mm. that's the head and the heart. Mm. Wow. When is the next one? <laughs> it's, uh, it's happening all around. Uh, ask Alicia. She's, yes, she's going to be doing a raid in your area. We have done it for years. Area. Before we start listening to our skits, I'd like to ask a question. And I know we've all done this. When did you start dating? Oh, you're asking me? Yes. Oh, you're looking at Alicia. So, okay. <laughs> I, wanted, I was like, oh, good. I wanted to know that one for a long time. <laughs> when did I start dating? Well, you know, uh, this is going to age me a little bit. So, you know, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, okay? Mm -hmm. There were kind of dating norms back then. You know, we've lost all the norms, haven't we? 
this millennial generation gets blamed for everything that goes wrong in the world. So um, I'm just kidding. It Sorry, doesn't guys. Really. But in, in, in reality, um, we have had a movement for a few decades now away from any kind of norms to just individuality and individual kind of values. So everybody kind of does what they kind of want to do. And that makes relationships very confusing, in my opinion. So when you ask me, when did I start dating? That's implied that people actually date. You know, I think that people have relationships now and they do that thing that they don't call dating. So I don't know what they call it. They hang hanging out, out. Yeah, hanging they out. Hang, yeah. hang out. They, they're, we're just, we just are. We're kind of at a time when relationships are undefined. And um, a speaker this morning called them, I think, ambiguous or something. But I'd say it's, it's a definition. So anyway, I was at an era where things were actually more defined. If you liked somebody, you actually called them on the telephone. Mm-hmm. Mm. So the very first girl I ever called was in junior high. So uh, junior high was seventh and eighth grade. So I think I was a a seventh grader and I liked this girl and I don't know how I got her number, (laughs) but um, I called her house and when somebody answered, I hung up. Because I mean, I, you know, I couldn't drive a car. I mean, what do you do? What do you, you just talk. You say, I like you, which is like a totally weird to just call somebody and say, I like you. (laughs) And it's very, very vulnerable, extremely risky. Right. So I probably called her a dozen times and hung up. So they probably, parents probably were calling the police because they thought a stalker was calling or something. (laughs) Who knows? Right. (laughs) But when she finally answered, you know, I don't even remember talking to her. All I remember is calling and hanging up. (laughs) <laughs> so it was probably there was a dance or like a junior high dance mm-hmm. and I was just going to ask her to meet me there and things. And I'd say that's probably, you know, the beginning. I mean, if I look at my own kids, I remember going to pick up my oldest Morgan when she was in fourth grade and standing outside the fourth grade room with the little, there's like a little window and you could like parents could peer in and see what was happening. And it's the end of school, you know, mm-hmm. and I was just standing there watching her and I was feeling all proud as a parent and the bell rings and about um, four boys like vultures come swarming. So they're just like circling her, oh, circling around. Right. You know, and, and I've, as a father, I freaked out and, that's um, when I started my hobby of gun collecting. But sure. it was, uh, you know, it, every parent needs a good every hobby, I say, yes. right? Don't you think so? So I, I think if you're asking when do boys and girls like each other, I think we're talking elementary school is when they mm-hmm. like each other. I mean, she, I remember, you know, we had, I had a great relationship with both my daughters and very thankful, you know. I had a private practice during all those years. So for about 25 years, I was a counselor in a counseling practice. And and I remember her coming home one time and she pulled this note out of her book bag and she slams it on the kitchen table and she goes, I got this note from a boy. She's very like disgusted. She goes, I get this note from a boy. Analyze him for me, please. Oh, <laughs> so, so I opened up the note, you know, and it, it begins uh, to my angel. I'm like, um, oh, oh boy, it's pretty serious. <laughs> I think that was like fifth or sixth grade. Wow. Pretty crazy. <laughs> Well, you know, it depends on where you are. We were out in the country in Ohio, mm-hmm. so it was very rural. And I mean, you got inner city, you got kids having a lot of sexual interactions in elementary school, depending on where you are. I, I don't think it was happening much, if at all, in this rural country school. But depending on populations and things, I mean, you're asking a pretty critical question in this day and age. And bottom line, parents, they have no idea how to talk to their kids about dating. First of all, half of their relationship, you know, half of these parents, their relationships messed up. So they feel like they have no right to say anything to their kids. So there's a huge vacuum of how to date or what to, in my opinion, what to even look for in another person to figure out what they're like. I was teaching grad school during the time of my private practice and I was teaching marriage and family assessment. And what that means is 
there's research about what was called premarital predictors of marital outcomes. So what that just means is something about Veronica before marriage. So what about Veronica before marriage will predict how she would act in marriage? So this is a whole body of research. So I'm doing my counseling practice with a lot of people that have messed up relationships and they're trying to find their way and they don't have any kind of a plan, no direction. They don't even know how to think about their head and heart, let alone even consider it. They're just doing the here and now. That was what a lot of my clients, both in committed relationships and those in dating relationships, even those in marriage relationships. But so I went, we're just talking specifically about dating. So I, I would go and I teach and I was reading literally close to probably a thousand research articles that I had cataloged into a predictor of what a person's going to be like in marriage. So I'm teaching these students that are going to, it was in a master's program, they're going to be future counselors and probably psychologists. And then I go back to my private practice and I'm like, these clients I have, if only they knew these predictors and how to talk about them and kind of explore them and how to make sense of them, they would be so much more empowered in their, they'd feel so much more relaxed. They're like, I know what to get to know about you. That helps me to predict what you're going to be like. Hmm. So that was really what led to uh, writing the book how to avoid falling in love with a jerk or a jerk at Omar, mm-hmm. just so you know, I knew you were thinking that, but <laughs> of course. Uh, there are uh, female jerks in the world, right? We've all known them. They just uh, usually get called something different, but uh, <laughs> we, we do, we do the PC here, right? We call them jerkettes. Mm-hmm. So I, I would just say parents need to be talking to their kids about how to understand friends first and foremost, long before the question of dating or liking uh, another person in another way. I'll, I'll tell you another real quick story. So I came home from uh, counseling at night one years ago and my oldest daughter, Morgan, was playing her friends and she was like maybe five years old. And I did what a counselor shouldn't do. So now I'm going to get in trouble because I'm putting this out there. But I, I was just bemoaning this client. There was this woman that I had been counseling and she was dating a, a jerk and she just was blindsided. You know, how many of us have known somebody like this, right? Yeah. I, can, I can ask a, a room of 100 people and at least, at least 70% of the hands go up mm-hmm. that they've known somebody like this. So it tells you love is blind mm-hmm. and people don't know how to build a relationship and what to look for some, in somebody. So anyway... My five-year-old, I pick her up and I'm just like talking like she's really listening to me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just got done working with this person and she's dating a guy. And if you only knew his family upbringing, you could totally predict what he was going to be like in this relationship. And she knows everything about his family, but she just doesn't even pay attention to all of the signs from his upbringing and his family when he grew up about how he's going to act as an adult. And I was just like saying stuff like that, okay? Car's silent. Morgan says... Let me try. Tell me about his upbringing. She's five years old. Let's see if she's smarter than this lady. So I'm like, okay. He had a dad that went off on his mom. Would get angry and he would hit his mom. So what do you think would be a warning sign from that? How do you think he might be acting? Um, Well, maybe he hits, but he's probably really an angry guy. You're smarter than she is, I say. Why don't these people pay attention to these family background stuff? I mean, it's just one of the five major areas. So we're driving along. She goes, give me another case. (laughs) (laughs) And that started this game. So now she's a PhD in psych, psychology. So you can figure out why, right? I mean, you know, I brainwashed her. Started early. But we were talking about how to understand people when she was five years old. 
doesn't that translate into her dating years when she finally likes a guy? I mean, For sure. how you figure out whether a person's going to be a good friend or not and how you build these areas of trust and reliance, all these things. Parents need to have a plan of how to talk to their kids long before they're 13, 14, 15 years old, and all of a sudden now they're in a relationship. Amazing stuff. Thank you so much for uh, sharing those analogies with us, those stories. Amazing stuff. So we're going to go ahead and uh, see and analyze how kids view relationships today as we listen to our first skit. And the name of the skit is, It's Not You, It's Me. Hello, Stephanie. Thank you for meeting me here. Would you like something to drink? Chocolate milk? No, thank you, my love. But wait, Maxwell, is something wrong? You look strange. Stephanie, there's no easy way to say this, so I just say it. I think we should see other people. What? Since when? I want you to know this has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me. Don't you love me anymore? Of course I do. Then what did I do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong, Stephanie. It's not you. It's me. <gasps> is there someone else? No, no. Of course not. Then what is it? People drift apart. It's sad, but it happens. Can you please just give me a straight answer? You owe me that, at least. It's just... We're both getting older now. We'll be entering fifth grade in the fall. I think it's best if we keep our options open. I don't want to keep my options open. I want to be with you. Don't cry, Steffi Weffy. I'm not Steffi Weffy anymore. You know I hate to see you cry. You said we were soulmates. And we always will be. Look, I'm not going anywhere. I'll still be around. Here, take my juice box. Have a drink. Don't tell me to have a drink. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. You know we can still be friends. No, you don't get to be the good guy here. You can't just break my heart and then pretend everything's fine. It hurts now, I know. But you'll see, Stephanie. This isn't the end of the world. It feels like it. We'll always have the swing set. I have to go. My dad's waiting. Take care of yourself, Stephanie. Do you think we'll ever get back together? In another life, perhaps. Until then, goodbye. So long. Waiter, can't you see I'm in pain? Can't I get another juice box over here? Wow, today's generations, man, for sure. I remember when I was 10 years old, I was worried about G.I. Joe's versus uh, breaking up with a gal. So I think um, he was the one that wrote the angel letter. Right? It sounds like that, that's probably how he started with her. She, she was his angel. That dude, how'd you get that recording from all those years ago? I know, right? He moved on from my daughter to somebody else. To Steffi Weffy. Yeah, to Steffi Weffy. So we just heard uh, 10-year-old Max break up with his girlfriend, Stephanie, Steffi Weffy, apparently because they were growing apart. So I'm just intrigued and curious what exactly is going on in their heads, Dr. <laughs> well, that sounded like a pretty grown-up uh, conversation in yeah, a lot of ways, I did, to be honest. I, uh, first of all, that is a very traditional two kids going together, exclusive, saying the I love yous because it reflects a deep commitment. And so love and commitment are actually you know, related, mm -hmm. they're joined together. And he was honestly, hopefully I won't say something to get myself in trouble. It sounded like he was pretty civil. Did he have another girl on the side, another maybe 
sixth grader <laughs> going, or maybe he's going for the fourth graders you know maybe it's a new the new the new group coming in he's going for the young ones i, I don't oh know but goodness. you know but uh he was um at least kind and nice and he broke up uh, i would put that in contrast to way more common dysfunctional relationships like uh you just got a text you know don't want to talk anymore mm-hmm. and some expletive or don't think we ought to be together anymore. I mean, there's research on how many people nowadays break up in texts. I mean, would you want that? To have a girlfriend have her break up on a text? Of course not. But, you know, I mean, to really visualize that, they'd be both on their phones as they're trying to talk about this relationship. And that would be like real dis- strange. And love was maybe not even linked to commitment. To me, that was a very traditional look at kids. Now, if they had not gotten in any kind of physical then I would say that was a lot of what went on probably in my world when I was growing up and maybe did a little bit in the early 80s, mid 80s, I guess it would be, no, late 80s. I'm trying to think when my kids were in elementary school, probably late 80s, early 90s. I think some of that in a rural setting happened. Okay. You know, like when I said that a boy liked her. So I, I don't see anything that was crazy wrong with that, but I didn't really want my kids in that type of relationship at that age. Gotcha. That's just really young. You know, fifth grade is is really, really young to start. I call them high school marriages, you know, where they spend all their time literally married. Mm -hmm. But that's an elementary school marriage. You know, it's just like everything is right. Alicia, wouldn't you agree? I think that was a shocker for me. It was. You know, what went in my stomach was like, oh, they're 10. You know, I think I had the cooties, you know, when I was that age. It's like, oh, boy, it's gross or something. You know, that's where I was, where I went. And I felt like they were having a conversation that felt a little bit older and yet they were younger. And I think it's a shocker for me because I didn't grow up in that context and I just want to fight it. Yet the reality of when we go into the high schools and the mm-hmm. middle schools and even now the elementary schools, there is this attachment and this physical engagement and all this oh, love yeah. starting earlier and earlier and earlier. So it is happening. The skit did portray a, a good breakup, if you will. You know, if you could have a good breakup, I guess that's as, as good as you can have it. You got a relationship like that and it's got a breakup. You get yeah, pretty, yeah. You know, yeah, I, give yeah, him yeah, a, yeah. I give him a B plus. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you did yeah, a good yeah. job, you know, no doubt. You know, as good as it could get. Yeah. But, you know, as a parent, for me, it's a shocker. And yet I think it's important to realize that this is happening. You know, oh, I think it's been, it's been happening for uh, yeah. generations, okay? Yeah. I really think it has. And I, what is scarier today is how sexualized elementary school kids are outside. Yeah side of any commitment so so because of a lack of maturity I mean they portrayed too much maturity in Mm -hmm. my mind Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. so you know that was a 10 year old but I mean I mean they were talking about give me a drink and everything so they're they're playing off of maturity (laughs) but I think what is really scary is that certain aspects of what we'd say would be part of a relationship certain key areas and particularly touch And maybe to some extent, knowing somebody, certain things have gotten pulled out of the big picture of everything. And so now you can have, in some settings, boys can come up to a girl and literally just ask her for, I mean, are we allowed to talk bluntly or not? They can ask her for a blowjob right there Mm. and and be fifth grade. Mm -hmm. And this stuff is totally detached from relationship. Mm -hmm. And those scenarios are way scarier than that. Yeah. Of yeah. course. That was young and immature, mm-hmm. but they were at least doing it relationally. Yeah, they were talking. They were talking. Knowing what you just said now, what can we tell parents? How do we prepare ourselves 
if we have kids that age because we're thinking, oh, they're not going to, they're not thinking about sex or anything like that. My kids are too young to talk to them about relationships, etc. How do we prepare ourselves to talk to our kids because these things are happening? One thing, I, I mean, I tell parents they need to get educated. So it's a topic that I want to write on eventually, apply a lot of the things that I put out there for how to build a relationship, what to get to know about somebody that predicts what they're going to be like. And then, you know, I have a whole kind of visual Mm -hmm. of the way to build a relationship. So, you know, this is all kind of designed for the individual to use on their own dating. Okay. But I think that there's a huge vacuum of information of translating that into how a parent raises their child to help you might say train them up in a good understanding so that they're they're empowering their kids to have this kind of understanding and wisdom and kind of a plan. So I think parents need to get educated. So because I, I don't know of any like real good books like specifically on doing that, I tell them, first of all, read my book, Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's going to give them tons of information that they need to translate into conversations with their kids. Number two, the very first thing that every parent ought to do is cross the barrier of being able to talk about this stuff. You know, when we look at the data out there, it's, it's just startling in such a sexualized world. And it's not just the sex talk. It's about relationships. And it's really putting sex in the context of love. In my opinion, putting it in the context of marriage, you know, helping people to understand some of the bigger picture issues. But parents, like I said from the very beginning, I think parents have a vacuum of understanding. They're afraid to even go into it. In a lot of ways, they feel that their life has somehow sabotaged their ability to even be valid in talking about this stuff. And they, they need to stop, dig their heels in, read, get some information, feel like they're armed with some, some information, and not attack their kids, but start to relationally have conversations yeah. with their kids. I have a question for you, and I've always wondered this, and maybe it's a horrible question, but they always say that the, the, the worst question that exists is the one that you don't make. From a psychological standpoint, the brain and its uh, development, at what age do you think the child or the kid's brain is developed enough for an opportunity to consider dating? That's a great question, Omar. I think, first of all, you're not the only one that's ever asked that question. Right, cool. And um, <laughs> there, is, there is a decent amount of research out there on brain development and plasticity of the brain, like how it's, it forms and can change depending on behavior. So we can do things that actually start to reroute some of the ways that our brain signals flow through as well as just pathways of the brain, you could call it. Okay. So by the way, we're enamored with brain science. I've always said, you know, if you want to write a book and have it sell more, just throw the word brain in the title, like, you know, cheerleading and the brain. (laughs) People be like, really? That's very cool. Give me a B. You know, how, how, how to improve your brain as a cheerleader. Like, oh, I want to buy that book gotcha. because we're, we're just are really infatuated with the brain. Exactly. So I go to conferences all the time. It just humors me how many times like workshops have thrown that brain word in there. Let's just indulge ourselves mm-hmm. and say there is a reality in brain development and fifth grade, 10 year old, 12 year old brains are extremely influenced by some of these relationship practices that we see going on, particularly the ones that are sexualized. Mm terrible. You know, I keep bringing up all of the X-rated topics. 
we need to talk about pornography for a minute and how that has just gone widespread and it's never really talked about, like not never, but it's talked about very infrequently. And the brain science behind how pornography changes brain pathways as well as chemical production and people's ability to even bond in relationships, forming of addictions. Kids are getting into this stuff. They're all walking around now with phones that they can tap into the internet. Even on college campuses, if we jump from the fifth grade to the freshman, the sophomore in college, it's a huge topic that you might say there is an undercurrent of talk and research that says how important of a topic it is, but it hasn't really come through the surface to be really in the top 10 topics to talk about. Yeah, I've always, I, I wanted to mention this to you because, you know, I, I know that in the past we've heard of, for example, the 16-year-old that goes and try to get their license, but then some people are against it because some part of their brain is not developed enough for them to be driving already. So then I guess we could apply this to like their dating life. I mean, is their brain developed enough so they can rationalize when they can and identify, hey, this guy's a jerk or hey, this is a healthy relationship for me? Well, I think um, I'm not going to throw any age out there myself. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. But I think that- uh, Fair enough. So I've got a four-year-old granddaughter- and uh, my oldest daughter, who got her PhD in psychology, is raising that four-year-old as well as a one-and-a-half-year-old little boy. That four-year-old went to preschool this last year. And one of her very best friends was Ethan, a boy. <laughs> and she likes Ethan. She's four. She was three when it began, and now she's four. So I, I'm just saying, my daughter knows how I raised her, and she liked a lot of those things, and she and her husband are raising. And you cannot separate kids. I mean, I suppose you could, but it just is unnatural. They got to talk to Effie about how to privacy, you know, she's four. So she's got to understand privacy issues. Yeah. She's got to understand if Ethan said, show me yours and I'll show you mine. Hmm. Right. Boundaries. Boundaries. I mean, these conversations got to take place because it's happening. You're not going to isolate these kids. When we think of like, at what age do we really kind of step into this? I'm like from birth. You're mm-hmm. stepping into, you are raising your kids to know how to build relationships, how to think about romance, how to ultimately be a marriage partner. You are raising them from the beginning with that whole trajectory. And parents do not think that way. I think a lot of times we think to. it's like a fire hose. Like you go to a conference and you just want to download everything. So the, the, there's a magical age and you're just going to download the whole <laughs> encyclopedia of information. And that would be overwhelming. So I think what we need to do is exactly what you say. You start small steps. Hey, let's name the body parts and the functions and privacy and nobody should touch you there. And then you watch a Disney movie and then like we talked about earlier, and then you talk about the kiss and what does that mean? And so I think it, it's more of a gradual thing than just a download that you just pour in a magical day that you just kind of go, Ta-da, learn everything about, you know. Right. And if, you, if we interviewed a bunch of kids that their parents got the download and came like the fire hose toward them, they're like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 Too much. They took me away for the weekend. (laughs) Stop, please. You know, because it never existed. And so I know that we're kind of like keep coming back to the topic of sexual development and sexual interactions, sexual relationship. But I want to put that into context. They got to talk to little Effie about is Ethan a good boy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is he respectful? Have you ever seen Ethan's mommy and daddy? How do they treat each other? Mm -hmm. Because that's a lot of what Ethan lives with. And my kids in elementary school, they could tell me whose families were, had a lot of problems. In elementary school, they knew. So we talked about this. We talked about their friends. We talked about the people that weren't their friends. We talked about the girl that got picked on and what happened in her home and what, you know, what's happening in school and what she must feel like. And so 
all of these conversations are also interrelated with how you conduct yourself, how you maintain your own boundaries, how people treat you, sexuality, but it also has to do with how you choose friends and ultimately how you choose somebody to form a more committed relationship with. Absolutely. So I think, I think we got to keep it in context. I do not like the concept of a sex talk that is outside of relationship. Mm -hmm. Got it. I think mm -hmm. that, that really casts a completely misleading understanding of sex. Sex is now just a physical interactive thing that is not related to relationship. It's not related to trust or knowing somebody or how they meet other non-sexual needs in your life. It's not, it's not related to anything in relationship. And so even the sex talk yeah. with the fire hose yeah. tends to feed a misconception. Yeah, it's all about. Yeah, yeah, it's all about one topic and it's not put in the right context. Mm -hmm. So parents, I've, parents are listening. I'm like, hey, get yourself educated, number one. Read some stuff, you know, learn some stuff. Be careful what you search for online, though. <laughs> yeah, because right. you can get all sorts yeah, of yeah, right. interesting I searched, ideas. I searched at work and now I'm fired. <laughs> well, I didn't know that was going to pop up. <laughs> Don't be stupid. Read good material. Understand stuff. But know that information to your kids and shaping your kids lives is through relationship with your kids. You've got to have a relationship where you're able to talk with your kids are able to talk with you. And if you're able to build that over the years, you'll have these kind of conversations and you will, you will be tremendously uh, influential in positive ways in their lives. And they'll turn to you when they're struggling too. For those that don't have a connection, how do they start? That's a great question. Just be present. You know, if the kid is sitting at the table doing homework or something, just sit down and be, I mean, I would just say physical proximity was where I'd start. I would just kind of put myself in your space. I remember this dad that did that. They did not have a good relationship with this kid. And it's, he would just sit and his kid's like, uh, I'm doing my homework. <laughs> Dad's like, well, I, I, I'll just read the paper. You know, that's no big deal. I just want to be with you. But what homework are you doing, by the way? Math. Uh, okay, cool. And he just sat there. And so he would come into a session, I was counseling him, and he'd be like, this is not working. So I, I just told him, just keep doing it. Well, pretty soon uh, he would say, well, what are you working on now? And he got to track what he was doing. He began to observe and understand. And that led to his son teaching him a little bit about math here and there. Like, you know, what is that? Is that geometry? Tell me about that. And next thing you know, the corner was turned. It took literally weeks. But all of a sudden he said, oh, shut his book. He goes, Jimmy was a jerk today. Really? Jimmy, I know. Yeah. Jimmy, I know. So next thing you know, is his son starts talking to him. So I think physical presence, I think listening, getting to know their world, mm -hmm. learning their friends' names. You know, I could say, I don't know if my dad would have ever known my friends' names. You know, he wasn't in my world enough to know that he loved me, was proud of me, but that was just, you know, his generation. So don't be like that. Understand their world, get in their world, and then look for little bridges of conversation. Family bridges. There you there go. You go. Right. Right. There right. you go. Pay me extra for that there one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> points, points, extra points. Well, that's a great segue to our next skit that we have for uh, you, doctor, and everybody that's listening right now. This is called Parenting as a Team. Come on, Dad. Please? No. Why not? Ugh. Mom! Let's put a pin in this. How about you finish your homework? It's already done. Your mother said go upstairs. No, she didn't. Stop arguing. Go upstairs. You're so unfair. <sighs> have, you, have you seen my book? Can we talk about what just happened? 
What about it? Well, for starters, are you at all curious what I think? You said you agreed with me. No, actually, I didn't. I didn't argue with you because we don't argue in front of the kids, but we haven't talked about it at all. All right. Well, do you think Val is old enough to date? Absolutely, I do. And frankly, I think you're wrong to say that she can't go out with that boy. She's 14. You keep saying that like it's some sort of reason. She's hung out with boys before. On group dates. What dates? You know, a group of girls, a group of boys, hanging out at someone's house, going bowling. Cosmic bowling? In the dark? Norm. Justin is a nice boy. We know his mother. They just want to see a movie. I think she needs to wait a few more years. Based on what? Vera. No, really, based on what? How will you know she's old enough to date? When she... When she can say no. When she's old enough to know that she doesn't have to do anything she doesn't want to just because some boy says that she should. Val knows about peer pressure. Believe me. (laughs) Why don't you talk to her? So we can repeat that same argument over and over? No, not talking at her. Talking to her. Get her to open up. Yeah, because she tells me everything. No, but she'll share what she's feeling. Start with that. (sighs) Okay. Okay, all right, but if if I change my mind, they are not going to the movies, you know, in the dark. Fine. And if we hear about any drugs or any alcohol or any necking, (laughs) no more dating. Necking? You know what I mean. I do. Get up there, Super Dad. All right, here we go. Okay, so uh, things got a little bit more serious. Uh, We heard an upset 14-year-old Val who wants to go on a date to the movies, apparently in the dark. Now, these parents can't agree on letting her date or not, although dad is willing to talk to the daughter. How important, Dr. Alicia Leos, is it that parents be on the same page when it comes to dating or their daughter or their boy or their son dating for the first time? I think it's important across situations. I know we're talking about dating, but it could be, you know, about anything. I think it's important for parents to be on the same page. And it's very easy to have divergent opinions Mm -hmm. about whatever it may be because we're just different. We have different personalities. We have different cultural backgrounds. There's a lot informing the way we think. And so it is a struggle for couples to talk about and come into the same page, especially dating, because that then comes with the heavy baggage of everything we've talked about. But you just have to continue to have a conversation until you're both comfortable with it, because I think that can definitely lead to some interesting friction, uh, you as a couple, if one person is enforcing one thing and another is is going in a different direction. And of course, kids know how to tap into your weakest part, and they're going to pull you apart, and they're going to try to manipulate the situation to do what they want and whatever that may be. What happens if one of the parents is just closed out? No, she's not dating. I want her to date until she's 30, whatever. And then the mom or the other parent, no, she can start dating. What can be the outcome with this child, Dr. Bennett? Yeah, in a way, the first skit that you had were two fifth graders that I'd say were actually functioning in a fairly healthy way. If you're, if I mean, mm-hmm. all things considered, okay, mm-hmm. right? Whether you agree or disagree with their relationship, at least there's, you know, and even this set of parents are functioning very healthy. I mean, you want a more typical 
And it was like the guy got up and he walks out on his wife and he says something and slams the door. And, and he, I'm not talking about this anymore. Mm-hmm. It, no is no. And so then you're at a crisis, which is what you're saying. Yes. So, and I think what you're asking is probably a, a pretty big percentage of a lot of, like you almost would imagine, well, that guy, he talked through with his wife. He softened. He listened to his wife. He responded. He didn't be like, well, who, who, you're not the boss of me. You know what I mean? He, he took her advice. He went up and he's talking to his daughter. And you would think that he'd probably be able to have pretty good conversations. I want to say I know families that did not let their kids start dating until age 18. And I knew families that um, had the fifth grade stuff going on and mm-hmm. they were totally cool with it. And they would drive their fifth graders to the movies. So I want an awareness that there is a range. And I would say I knew good families with decent kids that were functioning in healthy ways in that whole range. So without trying to peg, you know, your family out there, you know, you as parents have got to, this is like the right formula right here. It's more of the ingredients Mm -hmm. of what you're doing than some of these things. Um, I think that what Omar brought up about brain chemistry and the ability, and I think what this father brought up about does she have the ability to make good judgments mm-hmm. and set boundaries and to not actually feel so enmeshed with a boy that she would make choices that 10 years later she'd look back with a lot of regret? regret yeah. um, that's where parents come in and say, not until around this age does this maturity really en- enable them to have this type of balance and uh, self-control and overall judgment. So picking out ages and things, I think that if that dad said, you know, before we go start talking to her and trying to make a, give permission, let, let's go research this. See, this is another thing that I said, if they're going to go buy a car, they'd at least go like look at the Carfax or something, right? Yeah, yeah. But they're not even looking up any good information. So I would have stopped those parents and been like, don't go talk to the daughter. Not that she doesn't have good opinions and she's important. You need to get some education in this whole realm because we become parents without being educated. What are the relationship issues? What's developmentally appropriate? What's going on? Let's go deeper than what's the age so to be able to have a, a, a conversation exactly about the you relationship. said it much better than me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. What are some of the um, tips and communications that parents can have when they're having these conversations? They're obviously going to have differences of opinion. They get yeah. all freaked out and, you know, whatever fears yeah. and assumptions get, you know, aroused and they get crazy and then they start arguing and things can go south really fast. One tip would be take things in, in small steps. They've been hanging out with friends and everything, and now they're going to go to a movie. You know, that might be the next step, meaning they go into the movie, and so they drop them off at the movie, and then they pick them up, and they go home. Just be careful. I would say there's lots and lots of kids that are doing relationship stuff without any accountability. There is no supervision. Mm-hmm. Just think of it in terms of steps. At what point are they completely unsupervised with more opportunity than what would happen in a movie theater? Mm-hmm. And maybe a movie's not the, not the best place to go. Maybe it'd be something else. Maybe it would be to come over to our house and shoot baskets together or, or something. I don't know. I'm just saying we tried to have when our daughters were with a boy we tried to think of it in terms of what is the context of their time together there you go and if they're in this context of a we don't want to go from a to 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 t we want to go from a to b so what would be the next context so i think that would maybe be a little tip to just help parents to try to think almost methodically about when do we really want and trust our our daughter in this case Mm -hmm. 
to just have alone time and the freedom to, to be able to do something that would be harmful for her or would be crossing the line because nobody's watching and there's nobody around. When, when do we want to give when her the freedom 40. for that context? When she's 40. What's that? When she's 40. When she's 40, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Of course, you teach this all the time, but just for parents out there, how can they, what are the, the, the red flags or the signs to look for to teach their, their kids of how to avoid falling in love with the yeah. jerk? Right. Well, kids have reputations, not always the reputations. Sometimes the good kids are not doing things well in a relationship. They're going overboard. I just think that some of the red flags, first of all, about uh, kids that are troubled is uh, those things are just evident and you talk to them. So one of the rules that we had in, in, with my daughters is that if they liked a boy, that boy's family became part of our family. Of course. That was just what we did. So if they liked any boy, his family, we had him over for dinner. If the family, you know, was eating dinner and when they left, we talked about the family. So mm -hmm. that might sound gossipy, but we analyzed the family. We were very analytic. <laughs> you know, like, you know, and, and my daughters joined in, mm -hmm. you know, and if I can remember one time it was like, that dad is like weird. He's, he was so weird. I was like, the apple don't fall far from the tree. So don't forget that, you know, like think about the boy. The boy lived with that weird dad. Okay, that's 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 the boy's role model. But so that doesn't mean the boy's going to turn out exactly like his father. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, so there's reputations or things we knew, but we tried to not see kids that our daughters liked in isolation, like as just an individual out there free floating. We tried to see them in the context of their own family and their own life and their own history. We helped our daughters look at the track records. Mm -hmm. Kids have relationship track records. There's kids that cheat, gets around the school, mm -hmm. they cheated. And so we tried to help them. You know, we talked about that stuff. I just keep going back to, you know, this dad, you know, what the mom was telling the dad, which was the absolute best advice is build a better relationship with our daughter because she needs to be able to talk things through with you. The, the only thing that I'd say was a little bit lacking was the mom was saying, Build a relationship with the daughter so the daughter can convince you that this is the right thing to do. Right. And that's just not really a good entrance. Mm -hmm. You know, he's going to go into have a conversation with the daughter, you know, and the daughter's, she's got a reason to argue with him. So she's going to try to convince him and she's got mom on her side anyway. So there was a, that, I think that was just a, an odd situation. In some ways, I said it before, I think it was premature for him to go talk to the daughter. I think that the parents should have tried to get on the same page like what Alicia said. I think that was way more important for them to say, like, hey, we need to take a, a few weeks to just like really look into this more and talk mm -hmm. about this more and see if we can get on the same page. And then we'll engage in, you know, conversations with her about this topic. That makes a very mm -hmm. good point that sometimes as parents, we might feel pressured to make a decision now because yep. the children are urgently requiring it. And that's absolutely not the case just because it's an emergency on the children's part, which everything can be an emergency. It doesn't really mean that the parents have to make a decision today. Absolutely true. Things. And I think one other thing we want to add to that is, um, you know, one of the strongest arguments kids have is other people do it. Oh, All the yeah. time. It's like, like one of their, it's one of their go-tos, isn't it? Yeah. It could be over anything. You're like, you know, I want a phone. You're three years old. Yeah, but Ethan so has a phone, mm -hmm. you know, right? <laughs> so, her parents let her do that. Why can't I do that? Exactly. Right? right. Right. So that's one of the strongest arguments that kids have. So parents that are listening, they need to know this. Culture is not perfect. Culture comes and goes, trends come and go, and whatever is the culture that your kids are in right now 
there may be things that are very dysfunctional in that culture. And you've got to try to weed apart what you think is what you think is um, the kind of the culture that you want your family to have in a bigger context of the culture of your community, of your school system. Because I'm telling you, there is a lot of dysfunctional cultures that we've got to learn how to live in, but not conform to. That is such a good advice. Not too long ago, I was counseling a girl older, but she was talking about when she was in high school, she was running into a situation that was challenging. And she asked her mom, what should I do? And the mom said, well, you have to do what your friends say because you just have to fit in. Mm. You know, a year later, she ended up getting pregnant out of wedlock and just all sorts of decisions, drugs, the the whole nine yards. And so in this case, it was kind of like, are you kidding me? Your mom told you, just do what you need to do to fit in. In essence, though, that's what's happening today that we, you know, either unconsciously almost teach that because we just give in to the next trend. We do. I think that's really true. In your example, she was asking her mom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, doesn't that just wrench your heart? It's awful. Kids, like the idea that kids don't want to listen to their parents is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. They've done studies on this. Parents are the number one person that kids tend to turn to in their teenage years. But parents, I go back to it. Parents are not educated. They don't believe that it is their role to raise kids, to know how to build good relationships, what to look for, to choose good friends and ultimately good uh, romantic partners. And ultimately, I'm raising my kid to be a healthy and well-functioning marriage partner. My generation turned the corner in raising their kids to have a more negative view of marriage, unfortunately. So I'm speaking from kind of my own uh, specific social economic group and and Mm -hmm. race and so forth. But I think it was a pretty big generational thing where we raised our kids. I didn't, but I know my generation did. Raise kids to say, whatever you do, don't marry early, enjoy life, you know, live your life. And yet we didn't give them any tools in a very sexualized world. And so we had huge numbers and it's just growing. In fact, do you understand the millennial generation? In the millennial generation from age 18 to 34, 55% now have babies out of wedlock. Wow. And the average age is two years before they marry. This is the first time in history more people are having babies out of marriage than in marriage in that generation. And so they're doing relationships. They're Mm -hmm. doing love. In fact, the cohabitors, when they ask them, 50% of them say that they're going to marry the biological parent. 50%. Five years later, only 16% have. Mm -hmm. And 65% aren't even in a relationship anymore with that biological parent. So we've got something going on here. We have got to turn the corner and see that as parents, we're responsible to raise up a generation to honor marriage and family, to know how to date, to know how to conduct themselves. Also to see that these relationships can really create a lot of heartache if they're done poorly. So we're going to help you know how to do relationships well. And so I think parents need game plans. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate that information that this has been an amazing podcast, no doubt about (laughs) it. We'd like to take this moment and thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and insightfulness and for helping us prepare our children, nevertheless parents, uh, for these type of situations, especially if they experience puppy love. 
Would you like to add anything? And also, where can we find you? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. <laughs> so I have two websites. Cool. So the website that has a lot of the products and my programs have all been evidence-based. That means they've been researched. They're not only based on existing research, they've been researched to be shown that they really make a difference in people's lives. And a lot of that information and stuff is all on what's called Love Thinks, like the head and the heart. So L-O-V-E-T-H-I-N-K-S.com. We also have a second website, My Love Thinks. That's where we have a private Facebook groups and we have blogs and that's where people are asking questions and interacting. So the first site has a lot of information in it and products and programs. We have online courses now. We have an online course for this very topic of cool. how to avoid falling in love with a jerk. Classes are being offered by Family Bridges and others. But I would just say if parents like this, feel moved by it, uh, read How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk because it will give you a wealth of information to talk to your kids about. And maybe some of you will be sitting down with your spouse and being like, uh, <clears throat> I just read and guess what? <laughs> You're profiled in this book. <laughs> I didn't know that we got a problem. It's very good. <laughs> so anyway. I highly recommend the book and the programs. It's very, very good. Thank you. Well, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Dr. Laos. Anything you'd like to add? I just think it's it's a wonderful topic. And just like Dr. Van Epp said, we just need to look at it more global about relationships, not get hung up by the date and not hang up by the differentiation of, of sex and relationships are over here. They're really more integrated and we need to just continue to talk to our children and develop the relationship and in that context have the critical conversations that are important. I'll add one more thing that's kind of interesting. Harvard just put out a publication. Super interesting. I could cite several other universities that are doing it. Pepperdine University in California. Mm -hmm. Five years ago, the students came to the administration and said, can you put out a protocol on how to date? Hmm. Because we got, we, we just, nobody knows what they're doing out here. Harvard came out they found that the number one thing that was really being asked, how do we do romantic relationships safely and successfully? Even how do we say no to sex? So contrary to what we kind of think is the, the cultural thing going on for yeah. 21, 22 year olds, okay? But it was out there. Really, really interesting stuff. Um, there's a Duke University. They have a love series, how to date and fall in love. I'm telling you, people want structure. They want to know how to do it. There's this bent toward being ambiguous and undefined, and yet deep down inside, they're lost. As they raise their kids and talk about relationships and put all this in that global context, like you said, Alicia, they also want to say, hey, listen, it's good to have structures. So we're going to help you know what kind of structures at your time of life are going to work for you and your relationships. There you go. If you want to learn more, go to lovethings.com and you'll find more information on how to avoid marrying a jerk and also how to find the right partner. And I'll just add to that. Remember to download the Struggle is Real app so you don't miss any of these episodes that we are bringing to you via the Struggle is Real. That's right. Like the next one, that one's called Raising Future Spouses. How to marry or how to raise marriageable children with special guests Ron and Kathy Tijerina. Can't wait for that. Follow us on social media with hashtag the struggle is real or simply hashtag TSIR for blocks, tips and more and get the Family Bridges app for additional resources. Thanks for tuning in to the struggle is real relationship talk series all the way from the NARMI summit 2017 over here in Denver, Colorado. I'm Veronica Avila. And on this side, Omar Ramos. Till next time. This was The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. For more ideas on parenting, get your copy of The Struggle is Real by Drs. Paul Meyer and Alicia Laos on FamilyBridgesUSA.com. 